Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, October 29th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Election Day experience will be different this year. We look at what voters can expect as they head to the polls next week. Then, a summer of protest and national discourse over systemic racism brought forth the end of the controversial 1894 flag. We revisit the historic decision ahead of the vote for a new state banner. Plus, in today's book club, a best-selling author tells us what's so special about growing up and living in the South. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Voters across Mississippi may experience long lines at polling places next week when they cast their ballots. There are more than 113,000 new registered voters in Mississippi, and election officials are predicting record turnout at the polls on Tuesday. But for those who have voted before, the coronavirus pandemic is going to make the election day experience different. DeSoto County is one of the state's most densely populated areas. Tina Hill, an election commissioner there, tells our Ashley Norwood there will be limitations on how many voters are allowed inside a precinct at a time. We will strongly encourage our voters to wear a mask. As you enter the precinct, we will have two bailiffs at each precinct um, this for this election. They will be uh, maintaining the social distancing guidelines set forth by the CDC. Um, so there will be a limited amount of people inside the precinct at any, you know, at any time. We hope to have a steady traffic flow all day. So as one person enters, one person exits, and we want to have the maximum people in there as possible, but we also want to be safe. Our our poll managers will be required to sit behind plexiglass, and we are providing those. We are also providing masks, gloves, and sanitizers for our workers, um, and stylus pens. We have, that's new this year. We have you'll be issued a pen as you enter the precinct. It is an ink pen on one end, a stylus on the other, and you'll keep that with you to sign anything that you need to sign electronically or on paper. And then as you exit, you'll deposit those pens into a little bin, and then we'll sanitize those throughout the day and reuse them. Do you foresee any challenges on Election Day, whether it's um, speaking to a voter um or speaking to voters who may be masked, but then there are others who aren't masked and some people may feel uncomfortable. Do you foresee or or are you preparing um, poll workers to have 
different conversations this election with voters? Yes, we are. In our training, we conducted a five-week training session, um, and our poll managers were required to attend, you know, one training class. Um, and we did go into detail with them about a lot of our of our voters depend on reading lips, and they don't even realize this until someone's mouth is covered. So that that um, was one of the reasons that we put the plexiglass in place, um, so that if you do have to remove your mask just for communication's sake, there is still a barrier between you. Um, The only thing that we foresee, we have trained our poll managers to be sensitive to the people around them. They're not to discuss their personal opinions about political um, situations or topics or pandemic inside the precincts. We do know that, you know, that people, just because you're gathering and people are used to being confined at this point, will be anxious to communicate with each other. We will be social distancing them in the lines um, and doing as much as we can to provide a safe and welcoming environment for our voters. District 5 Election Commissioner in DeSoto County, Tina Hill, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. Bye. In Washington County, Election Commissioner Jacqueline Thomas is, or Thompson rather, is requiring masks to enter the precinct with other voters present. Governor Tate Reeves and Secretary of State Michael Watson have declared masks cannot be required to vote as they represent an undue burden on a constitutionally protected right. Thompson says there are procedures in place if a voter chooses not to wear a mask. We have uh, done a lot of um information, sent information out saying you must wear a mask uh, in, in, because you're coming inside a place where it's going to be more than uh, five to ten people. So you must wear a mask inside of the voting precinct. And if somebody's having a fit and they don't want to put a mask on, uh, we also have a procedure where we are going to clear the precinct before you can actually come in and vote. So even though uh, you may not have COVID or you may not I have an issue, but we do want to make sure that the people behind you and in front of you um, are protected. So we will allow that person to come inside the precinct and vote if uh, they are hee-haw and having a fit about not uh, being able to uh, come in without a mask on. But most people, we've we've made it very clear that you must have a mask on during this voting process. And and, and that, just based off what you said, kind of, brings to mind this additional question here. So, you know, being voting inside precincts, um, talk to me a little bit about some of the precincts in your district. Are they fairly large? Do you have a lot of smaller precincts where you're really trying to make sure you keep a certain amount of people in there because of the size or, you know, the lack of proper air ventilation? Well, we do have very small precincts. We have probably maybe four or five, maybe, to the max. Out of 19 precincts, we may have four that's um, that's extremely small. So what the county and the election commissioner has done, we have uh, rented tents uh, outside to, um, to do this voting process outside also. And it should have the panels and, you know, covering just like it would inside of a building, but it's much larger in the building that we would have held the election inside of. Right now, we would have 
enough space to do whatever we want to do inside of those tents and also feel pretty safe. Was there something that I did not ask you that you think is important to add? Yes. Is the process going to be long? Of course it is. (laughs) And we just ask that people be patient and understand that we're going through uh, a very troubling and trying time in America. And so if you come to the precinct and you're um, standing outside longer than usual, uh, just don't get impatient and walk away and not vote. Um, I think you should uh, consider staying and voting and casting your vote. Uh, and urging other people to stay and cast their vote. All right, Jacqueline Thompson, Election Commissioner of District 1 in Washington County, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you. In addition to rules and procedures related to the coronavirus pandemic, DeSoto County's Tina Hill reminds voters there are other longstanding general practices they are expected to adhere to. In general, when coming to the the voting precinct um, to cast your vote in person on Election Day, um, you are not to wear anything on your person, hats, uh, T-shirts, jackets, stickers, anything that affiliate with a party or with a candidate, those are not allowed inside the precinct or within 150 feet of the precinct entrance. Let me ask a question. If someone does arrive with something like that on or that kind of apparel, what happens? um, Generally, the bailiffs um, address that, and they just we try to be as polite as possible, and we ask that they remove it. If possible, they turn the, if it's a t-shirt, turn it inside out or put a jacket on over it just while they come in and cast their vote. Any other general election do's and don'ts? They, um, every voter should have their photo ID with them and be ready to present that. It will be asked. Um, and if you don't have your photo ID, then you will be asked to cast an affidavit ballot. And you will have five business days to come to the circuit clerk's office and present your photo ID. And a photo ID, that can be a license or any other type of photo ID as well? Um, Issued by government, state government or federal government with your photo on it. Um, An accredited college in the state of Mississippi with a photo ID. Um, your driver's license, a anything officially issued by a government entity. Photography and video recordings are not allowed inside voting precincts. Jacqueline Thomas, Thompson of Washington County says voters should also report anyone offering unsolicited help during the voting process. She says there are poll workers available to assist voters if needed. Nearly 2 million customers are without power across several southern states. That's according to the website poweroutage.us. Hurricane Zeta raged ashore yesterday afternoon in the small village of Cocotri in Louisiana as a strong Category 2 and then moved swiftly across the New Orleans area and into Mississippi. In the city of Waveland, Mayor Mike Smith told local news outlets he was expecting to see a lot of damage this morning. The Mississippi Emergency Management Agency will begin 
substantive assessments this morning. Coming up, a summer of protest and national discourse over systemic racism brought forth the end of the controversial 1894 flag. We revisit the historic decision ahead of the vote for a new state banner. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. In five days, Mississippians will vote on the adoption of a new state flag. During the summer of unrest over racial injustice, legislators passed a bill removing the old state flag containing a Confederate emblem that may deem as many deem as racist. MPB's Kobe Vance reports on the historic decision. Mississippi's recently retired 1894 flag was the last in the nation to contain a Confederate battle emblem. Democratic State Representative Robert Johnson of Natchez says the flag was a sign of oppression to him and many other black Mississippians. Our flag had a message, and it's always been a message. All my life has been a message. So having a change and having a flag become something that I could wear, I could put on my car, even at 61 years old, it's a brand new thing to me. Democratic Senator David Jordan of Greenwood is 87 years old and has served in the state legislature for almost 30 years. He says the flag represents a dark past in the state consisting of slavery, discrimination, and 50 years of what he calls knockoff freedom. That symbol hurt Mississippi. Why, why is it so glorified that this state of enslaved innocent people for 244 years and still you want to fly something or put an image up that reminded them how they were treated? The flag was adopted in 1894, nearly 20 years after the Civil War, under the leadership of Confederate veterans. The flag stood unopposed for nearly a century, and over the past 30 years, there have been four major efforts to remove it. In 2001, a referendum was placed on the ballot, and Mississippians overwhelmingly voted to keep the 1894 flag. But this summer, discussions for a flag change resurfaced. At the start of the summer, protests were held around the nation, including Mississippi, in a fight against police brutality and racial injustice. Business leaders and religious organizations pressed legislators to remove the flag. The day after the NCAA prohibited championship games in the state because of the flag, athletic directors and coaches from every public university in Mississippi stood in the Capitol Rotunda calling for change. Scott Waller, CEO of the Mississippi Economic Council, says the flag was driving away businesses and blocking others from coming in because of the flag's racist imagery. It's a factor. And having it removed, remove one more impediment that will allow us to start thinking about how do we focus on the opportunities of the future and really and truly see the type of economic improvement that we have missed out on as a result of it. This pressure, along with discussions between legislators and advocates, drew more support for changing the flag. In a historic move in late June, lawmakers voted overwhelmingly to remove the flag. In the House, it passed 91 to 23. And in the Senate, by a vote of 36 to 14, the motion passes. The new legislation removed the existing flag and created a commission to find the new one, requiring the phrase, in God we trust, to be included in the final design. 
Representative Robert Johnson says he counted the votes and anticipated this outcome, but not by this large of a margin. I didn't think I'd be moved, but I, it moved me to know that that day had come. My children and their children could walk proudly as Mississippians with no symbols that harken back to days when we were a state in rage and in terror. No matter what is happening now, that was not what we stood for anymore. The 1894 flag was officially retired on July 1st and was placed on display at the Museum of Mississippi History. Republican Speaker of the House Philip Gunn spoke at the event. Today marks a turning point in our state's history. Today we retire our former flag and begin the process of adopting a new flag. During the following weeks, the nine-member flag commission received thousands of submissions for a new flag design. The flag selected by the commission to appear on the November ballot was renamed the In God We Trust flag. The design has a magnolia flower surrounded by 21 stars on a blue background with red and gold columns. It has a star in the center representing the First Nations. Justice Reuben Anderson chaired the Flag Commission. He was the first African-American to serve on the Mississippi Supreme Court. 5,000 years from now, our flag will be growing and showing and blooming. And we'll send a message to all of America that we are open for business. We'll send a message that we live in the future and not in the past. The In God We Trust flag will appear in full color on Tuesday's statewide ballot. If adopted, it will become the official state flag. But if the majority of Mississippians vote no, the Flag Commission must reconvene and begin the search process once more. Kobe Vance, MPB News. Another ballot measure grabbing voters' attention is the Medical Marijuana Initiative. Under Initiative 65, the Department of Health would be the administrative agency of Mississippi's medical marijuana program. But State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs is urging caution over the ramifications if 65 is approved. It would be baked into the Constitution that there's an unlimited number of marijuana dispensaries. And we've seen what's, hap- what's happened in other states like Oklahoma, which is pretty similar in, in structure to what we're looking at with Initiative 65, where they have over 2,000 dispensaries. One in 12 people in, in Oklahoma has a medical marijuana card and can go buy you know, marijuana at one of these 2,000 dispensaries. And there's no reason to think that Mississippi wouldn't have a similar experience because, again, it is baked into the Constitution that you cannot limit the number of dispensaries. In addition to that, it supersedes local zoning such that um, and, and read it, it. It says that anywhere that you can have a business or where a pharmacy might operate or other businesses, you cannot restrict zoning for a medical marijuana shop. And so local communities will not be able to restrict how many and where these things are located. You can find the most up-to-date information about these initiatives and more at mpbonline.org slash election. Coming up in today's book club, a best-selling author tells us what's so special about growing up and living in the South. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. 
Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Slowly, we started, you know, picking these turtles up and saving them. I'll stop traffic, grab one out of the road. And then our friends found out, and our vet would call us. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We are now a full-fledged, nonprofit turtle rescue. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app, Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Rick Bragg is a journalist, a novelist, and a college professor, but is probably best known for his reflective nonfiction about life itself. The Pulitzer Prize winner and best-selling author has gathered a collection of his columns from Southern Living and Garden and Gun to put together his latest book, Where I Come From, Stories from the Deep South. He begins our conversation talking about what's unique about the South. Well, it's the heat. You know, people say that all the time. Well, that's not, you know, that ain't it. There's all kind of tragedies in the world, and some tragedies are contained by the walls of a wood frame house. Things that go on in that house are the things that can be the most awful to us, the most personal. So my experiences as a blue-collar Southerner are much different from those of the veranda Southerner, the ones who sit around thinking to themselves, I wonder if my riding boots have been polished. That's not the kind of Southerner that I am. But I do believe there is an understanding of loss. A lot of people love to point to the Civil War, but there's a hell of a lot more to it than that. A lot of people point to the Civil Rights Movement, but there's a lot more to it than that. My people were defined by the Great Depression. My mother's baby sister died of a thing as simple as diarrhea because there, you know, there's no doctors and there's no money. There is, I think, in the heat and the pines and the racism and the battle against that racism and the wars, I think there is a sense of pathos and loss and anger over it instead of a Zen-like attitude. You know, we're, we're an angry people down here despite the heat. Before you go on, I just want to – because we're, you were going pretty dark there. But let's just come back to this book because it is funny, 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 laugh out loud funny. I, I hope so. I wrote a line the other day, not in this book but in another one, about tent revivals. I remember you know, going to those tent revivals. You know, just imagine that for a kid. I mean it was just misery. The seats would be – still hot from where they were stacked up on the flatbed truck. But the thing I remember is that there was always a big, giant, sweating igloo cooler of ice water for the people in the tent, and not one cup. If that doesn't sum up the Pentecostal experience for a six-year-old boy in Alabama in 1965, I don't know what does. Lots of Southern things in here, like alligators and po'boys and ghosts, especially when they're Confederate soldiers, which everybody... Yeah, yeah. Everybody it it always made me mad that rich people had the ghosts. <laughs> Why do just rich people have the ghosts? There's always a weeping Southern belle on her way to the cotillion, standing on the veranda, supposedly scaring people. The rich folks have got a ghost. Well, where is the ghost of like the 
the mobile home. You know? I don't know one human being who lives in a double wide who is saying to themselves right now, you need to come out here. We 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 got a haint. That ain't never happened. Oh, and the importance of a pocket knife. My brother Sam gave me a bone handled plain old probably about three and a half inches long closed but made out of a yellowed bone handle so you know it's old stainless steel nothing fancy razor sharp single bladed pocket knife and it's razor sharp because he knows how to sharpen a knife i pick it up and it literally feels good in my hand i mean it feels maybe the way somebody of a different time would have felt a pocket watch but I pick it up, and it takes me back to these old men who, they would have no more walked out of the house without a pocket knife in their pocket than they would without their pants. A serious man had to have a pocket knife. A man who was not serious rode around without a jack in the trunk, without a good spare, without a toolbox. But mostly, he had to have a pocket knife. I guess writing about things like that are just, it's certainly a way to keep people who have gone on close. My brother and I will say sometimes to each other, can I borrow your knife? You might have one in your own pocket, but it's just, it's to make sure that everything is okay. It holds us to a time and a place and just good memories. Rick Bragg is a Pulitzer Prize winning writer, a James Beard Award winner, a best-selling author, and the author of Where I Come From, Stories from the Deep South. Rick, thanks so much. No, this was a great pleasure. This was fun. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.